You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Lithuania warns of increased DDoS threats, limited Russian success in the cyber phases of its hybrid war, another warning of spyware in use against targets in Italy and Kazakhstan. Are you a critical infrastructure operator? Well, CISA's got a tabletop exercise for you. Kevin McGee from Microsoft has advice for recent grads. A look back at the year since Colonial Pipeline with Patrick O'Reilly of CyberSaint. And sometimes ransomware is just a spy's way of saying... Nothing up my sleeve. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, June 24th, 2022. Bleeping computer reports that Lithuania's National Cybersecurity Center, the NCSC, has issued a public warning that the threat of distributed denial-of-service attacks is rising. The alert says, Most of the attacks are directed against public authorities, the transport and financial sectors, leading to temporary service disruptions. The NCSC urges all managers of critical information infrastructure and state information resources to take additional security measures and to follow the NCSC recommendations for protection against service disruption attacks. There's no explicit mention of Russian operations in the alert, but it's clear whence comes the threat. Bleeping Computer notes that a nominally hacktivist group that claims to be acting in the Russian interest, Legion Cyber Spetsnaz, declared in a Telegram post, Cyber War Against Lithuania, and published an ambitious target list. Large banks, logistic companies, internet providers, airports, energy firms, mass media groups, and various state and ministry sites. Bleeping Computer reads the Cyber Spetsnaz as an offshoot of Kilnet. Spetsnaz is the Russian term for its military special forces, throat-cutting operators who've inherited their tradition from the Cold War Soviet Army, Rough Western equivalents would be cyber SAS or cyber commandos or cyber rangers. A little grandiose and a little puerile, and so far, more than a little unearned. The cyber Spetsnaz declaration dates from Lithuania's decision to forbid shipments of sanctioned goods through its rail corridor to the detached Russian enclave of Kaliningrad. Reuters reports that Moscow has blamed Lithuania's action on Washington— The Russian Foreign Ministry said in a statement, the so-called Collective West, with the explicit instruction of the White House, imposed a ban on rail transit of a wide range of goods through the Kaliningrad region. 
Microsoft's report, Defending Ukraine, Early Lessons from the Cyber War, includes an account of Russian targeting in the cyber phases of its hybrid war against Ukraine. The report says, Russian targeting has prioritized governments, especially among NATO members, but the list of targets has also included think tanks, humanitarian organizations, IT companies, and energy and other critical infrastructure suppliers. While Russian cyber operations have, as many have observed, fallen as far short of the widespread devastation of infrastructure as Russian combined arms operations fell short of the conquest of Kiev, both widely expected, they've enjoyed some success. According to Microsoft, since the start of the war, the Russian targeting we've identified has been successful 29% of the time. A quarter of these successful intrusions has led to confirmed exfiltration of an organization's data, although, as explained in the report, this likely understates the degree of Russian success. Google's threat analysis group reported late yesterday that spyware developed by the Italian firm RCS has been found in use against targets in Italy and Kazakhstan. Google says... Today, alongside Google's Project Zero, we are detailing capabilities we attribute to RCS Labs, an Italian vendor that uses a combination of tactics, including atypical drive-by downloads as initial infection vectors, to target mobile users on both iOS and Android. We have identified victims located in Italy and Kazakhstan. Targets appear to have been infected by phishing or through the installation of malicious apps, and the malware comes in both iOS and Android versions. One surprising conclusion is that in some cases, the spyware operators worked with the victim's ISP to disable the target's mobile data connectivity. In some cases, RCS had earlier cooperated in its business with a now-defunct hacking team. The tools RCS apparently sold to government customers were described last week by researchers at Lookout under the name Hermit, TechCrunch reports that Google is notifying the victims it's been able to identify. CISA hosted a workshop Thursday providing an overview of the CISA tabletop exercises packages, an unclassified adaptable exercise resource focused on facilitating discussion around a scripted hazard or threat scenario. Robert Lauer, the workshop facilitator, explained that the CTAP is designed to assist government and industry partners in developing your own tabletop exercises with pre-built templates. There are over a hundred scenarios to choose from that encompass both cyber and physical security. Several of them involve both. The CTEP exercise materials include a situation manual, an exercise planner handbook, a facilitator and evaluator handbook, and various templates that can be used throughout the exercise. The ultimate goal of the resource is to help facilitate understanding, identify strengths and areas for improvement, and or changes in policies and procedures. GovTech reports that workshops on CTEP will be held monthly and hosted by CISA Exercises Infrastructure Security and Exercise Branch, with participation from private stakeholders and critical infrastructure owners and operators. There is no registration required for these workshops, which are open to the public, to use the CTEP exercises, however, you need a critical infrastructure community account on the Homeland Security Information Network. You can learn how to create an account on their website. Finally, SecureWorks reports that a Chinese threat actor it tracks as Bronze Starlight is conducting ransomware campaigns against selected targets. 
but that the ransomware is probably misdirection to cover cyber espionage and theft of intellectual property. The researchers say the victimology, short lifespan of each ransomware family, and access to malware used by government-sponsored threat groups suggests that Bronze Starlight's main motivation may be intellectual property theft or cyber espionage rather than financial gain. The ransomware could distract incident responders from identifying the threat actor's true intent and reduce the likelihood of attributing the malicious activity to a government-sponsored Chinese threat group. One of the marks of Chinese official involvement is the distinctive loader Bronze Starlight uses. It's been seen before in other campaigns run by Beijing's APTs. Once the loader's installed, it decrypts and executes a cobalt strike beacon for command and control. At that point, the ransomware goes in and the data goes out and it's KD bar the door, but too late. And the threat actors are far more interested in the data than in any ransom payment. SecureWorks points out that good practices like keeping systems patched and up-to-date and monitoring your network traffic will help, and they provide a useful set of indicators of compromise. So yes, indeed, Katie, bar the door. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. It was just over a year ago that news of the Colonial Pipeline breach hit the newswires, 
and with it a flurry of activity, speculation, and ultimately response. I wanted to get a reality check on where we stand a year out from that important event, and for that, I checked in with Patrick O'Reilly, co-founder and chief product officer at CyberSaint. In the wake of something like that, you know, major supply chain issue around something like gasoline, um, people were just shocked and confused and didn't understand the implications of it. And just, it was burbling into the public through mainstream media news outlets. And it's sort of difficult for people to understand what some of, you know, the announcements and, uh, you know, press releases out of Colonial even meant, you know, what does it mean? OT Mm -hmm. is, OT is not IT and operational technology and cyber to physical and all of these sort of terms of art in cyber, uh, confuse the public to some extent. So I think it was really chaotic week or two. Do you feel like ultimately the messaging was, was correct that, that, the the general public who's not steeped in this sort of stuff, do you think their understanding of it is accurate? No, no, because even even among people who are more sophisticated, there's still a great deal of confusion because and I think that's just a an artifact of our news cycles. They're so quick. Um, and you need to talk a little more in depth about, you know, uh, the context around an attack like that and and what can be done going forward to get a better understanding. So no, I think the public knows that some of our critical infrastructure is in danger of cyber attacks. Um, And I think they just sort of live in that, you know, general free floating anxiety, so to speak. Yeah. My recollection, one of the things that struck me was when the the realization came out that, uh, you know, one of the main things that, that kept Colonial Pipeline from from getting the fuel flowing was were billing issues, not right. necessarily technical physical issues. It was just how are we going to know who needs to pay for this? Right. Yeah, and the complexity of an operation like that very hard to to cover in a short format. So, in terms of response, I mean, let's start with the federal response here. How do you how do you rate how they responded to this and the the things that have been put in place since? I would rate the response highly. Uh, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, the, the two directives and some of even the back behind the scenes legislative activity, you know, senators sending letters and, and encouraging the Department of Energy maybe to get a little more involved because long term, that's probably the solution. So I think the government did all the right things. The issue really is, you know, uh, I think is TSA um, prepared to deal with this problem at scale going forward. You know, you can, you can outline guidelines. You, you know, there were a couple of directives that came out. They're pretty clear, but it's not, it's not very easy to implement all of that for all pipelines. And there's a great deal of haggling going on. So I think the response was great, but the implementation, not so much. Where do you suppose we stand today? I think where we stand today is, you know, at, we're in a negotiating period between some of the pipeline operators and the TSA. Um, the TSA does have the regulatory authority to levy fines, but they're not going to do so until they feel like uh, industry is in a better place uh, with respect to um, you know getting on the same page with the directives. What do you suppose it's going to take to to reach that level of alignment? I I think that. 
I think a couple of things probably have to happen. Either the TSA has to get um, bigger, has to devote more resource to this, or the Department of Energy is going to have to become involved long term. Because this kind of reminds me a little bit of 2008 and when NERC SIP came out. There was a, a long period of, you know, how do we comply? How do we do this? Um, you know, it, and it really didn't start to see the results of, say, NERC SIP compliance until, um, you know, a couple of years out. Do you think we're on a realistic timeline here? I mean, is is it reasonable that that these these changes, th- these adjustments, and how things are done are taking as long as they're going to take? No, no, you know, I no, uh, because you know, I'm in the business of helping companies, you know, comply more generally, and uh, you know, I just look at the other regulatory frameworks that the government has right in place. Say, for example, you know, DFARS or CMMC for Defense Department subcontractors. It just takes longer. So, you know, even in Directive One that came out, you know, they were like, we need a gap, you know, analysis within 30 days. I don't know that that's possible. Uh, you know, I see companies uh, struggle to get their DFARS or their CMMC uh, regulations in, in place in six months, you know, or, or longer. So I think maybe the timelines are very aggressive. I, I think that was probably intentional to put everyone sort of on notice that this had to get done. Um, but I, I think that'll probably be tweaked too um, in the long run. How do you suppose this is going to inform, you know, the development of new infrastructure as new pipelines are laid, as new, you know, the, when as those upgrades happen and not just to, to pipelines, are we going to have a different mindset going forward? I think there's already a different mindset among the, you know, system integrators and the companies that work with pipeline. Uh, you know, if you if you sort of listen to the thought leaders in in that sector, they're already, you know, advising that uh, new construction or new infrastructure uh, should be, you know, built with uh, new protections in place. You know, some of the, you know, some of the legacy infrastructure is pretty tricky stuff, as you know. Um, you know, it's very hard. To, it's a notoriously difficult problem to patch uh, operational technology systems. Uh, so a lot of the companies that build infrastructure are mindful of that, and a lot of the uh, consultants who put that infrastructure into place are mindful of that. That's Patrick O'Reilly from CyberSync. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you get access to this and many more extended interviews. And joining me once again is Kevin McGee. He's the Chief Security Officer at Microsoft Canada. Kevin, always great to welcome you back to the show. It is hard to believe, but it is that time of year again when uh, the graduates are hitting the pavement looking for new jobs, and many of them want to enter this hot area of cybersecurity. I know this is an area that that is important to you. You you actually uh, give a lot of your time to speak to some of these folks what sort of things are you telling them and, and what feedback are you getting? 
Thanks for having me back, Dave. And uh, thanks for, for investing some time discussing something really important to me, which is making sure that uh, we're, we're not only building the pipeline, but we're getting these students out into the work world to, to, to start to close some of these gaps that we're seeing in, in not only talent, but just in workforce. And it's one of my favorite things to do. I get asked to, to speak to a number of universities and colleges, primarily in Canada, uh, more and more each year about, um, you know, how do you get that first job or how do you hack your way into the, uh, into the security industry? What I've really found is there's more than one skills gap out there. And I think the biggest one is that there are tons of incredibly talented, aspiring cybersecurity professionals being graduated by colleges, universities um, across the country. But there's also these tons of open jobs. And CISOs are telling me they can't find the talent, but the students are telling me they can't get hired for these initial jobs. Mm -hmm. So I think this is the challenge that I'm really excited about trying to figure out how to overcome. So what's the gap there? Why why can't these two groups uh, meet in the middle? I think it's uh, it's uh, setting expectations. So the universities and college will will promote uh, how much money you can make in cybersecurity or how big of demand is, but that's for a fully proficient and fully experienced cybersecurity professional. And that's what the employers often want, is a fully proficient and, and fully experienced cyber professional. There's a gap of five years, and you'll see uh, many of the students bring up the uh, five years plus experience that's really causing this challenge. And how do we get over that? Other industries like accounting or lawyers, they have to do an articling period. Uh, doctors need to do residencies. Uh, trades per people People need to do um, a period of time as a, um, an apprentice as well. There's no sort of transition period in, in the cybersecurity industry. So we're going to have to act like hackers as, as students, that's what I tell them, to figure out how you can, can uh, find that first job and, and really hack that gap uh, to your own advantage. Yeah, it strikes me too that a lot of the businesses out there need to recalibrate their expectations as well to to bring in those lower level people and train them up, you know, do it in house. Don't expect everybody to come in fully baked. And part of that is we often promote the most technically proficient uh, within our organizations to leadership roles, not those that are the greatest leaders and not those that can onboard talent, mentor talent and train talent. Um, so that that is one challenge. And we don't invest in a lot of our technical leaders in teaching them these skills as well. So a lot of this is going to fall to the student to figure out how to bridge that gap. Uh, otherwise, they, they may find that they're not able to break into the career in cybersecurity or have to seek uh, employment in another area of the uh, the industry to build up that experience before they're able to come back to security. And that would be a great shame. For the students, is this a matter of getting the right certifications? Is it a matter of getting the right internships? I mean, what's your advice to them to get past those resume gatekeepers? Yeah, I'll boil down a one-hour talk into a, a, sh a short clip for <laughs> CyberWire. So, one, explore your options. You know, the pandemic has moved a ton of content online. Conferences are online. You can start to see what people do and what their people are talking about. Um, learning about the different roles and, and getting connected to some of those people, reaching out. Uh, great uh, resources, CyberWire Career Notes. If you hear someone who just resonate that their job would be the perfect thing you'd like to do, why not reach out and say, I saw your presentation, explain why you want to talk to them and ask for their advice. 
Um, number two is, you know, become an industry expert. You have to know your skills, but also an industry insider. You know, are, who are the thought leaders in the space you're interested in? Who are they talking to and what are they talking about on Twitter? Who are they interacting with it? What conferences are they going to? What podcasts are they listening to? What books are they reading? Um, this can be really key. Um, I love the Cybersecurity Canon. as a great, um, if you haven't uh, looked up that, give it a search. as a great um, book um, intro reading list for those new to the, um, the, uh, the industry. Start start anywhere that interests you and just build up your repertoire. And that could be from um, from deeply technical books to Neil Stevenson. There, nothing will get you further in an interview with me than dropping a Neil Stevenson um, quote or two, I'm pretty sure. Um, we talked about deep reading the do- job descriptions to look for that five years of experience. How can you you look at the or equivalent aspect of that and demonstrate the ad equivalent. Can you show a GitHub project? Could you get a certification or whatnot that could demonstrate that um, to the employers? These are the actions that you can take um, that can really make a difference. But the, the most important one is show me, don't tell me. Don't tell me you're a great communicator. Write me a, um, a cover letter. Send me a blog post you wrote. Um, don't tell me all the skills that you have. Send me your GitHub project to review. How can you show the employer that you really have the skills? Um, maybe it's a capture the flag event or whatnot as well, and not just tell them on a resume. Because loading your resume with keywords is really not going to get the attention, but some of these additional things really will, and those are all within your power to do as a student. All right. Well, good advice as always. Kevin McGee, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Alan Neville from Symantec Broadcom. We're discussing Lazarus targets the chemical sector. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. 